Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Good morning to another episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And this morning, we're joined by Shaz Memon. And Shaz is the founder of Digimax, the world's number one dental marketing agency. Also the author of the Amazon bestseller, Instagram for Dentists, and the founder of Wells on Wheels, the Water Wheel charity project. And that's the area we're going to have a chat today. We're going to talk about the greater good. So morning, Shaz, how are you? Good morning, Andy and Chris. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm wonderful. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. Yeah, morning, Shaz. Morning, yeah. Shaz. I tell you what, how impressive is it to be Amazon bestseller? It is. It is. And, and yeah, on the book side of things, uh, I mean, I, I've read the book and there are so many nuggets in there. And I think as a piece of work, potentially it's a bit overwhelming mm. because there's so much in there. You like It blows your mind because the way you kind of get good at this stuff is kind of doing a thousand small things really well. But the way you break it down you can literally read a page and take action mm, and, then, yeah. and improve how your account works. And it's works. a great-looking book, isn't it, Shaz? You know, the, the book is great. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at it, it's a book that you can use. Mm. And uh, it's almost a bit sort of like the the Bible of Instagram for dentistry. Yeah, That's why I sort of look at it. So it's a good piece of work. Yeah, I think but I think it would be brilliant if I could and say... if you guys use our discount code and yeah. order one, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure that <laughs> checkout process is right. And I'd like to put on something. Can you imagine that? Oh, I'm, it's Chris Evans. I'm Amazon bookseller, this one or whatever it is. What a great one. That is brilliant. Anyway, we, di- we digress. We Sorry, do, Shaz. we do. So, Shaz, just for um, a starter, could you just perhaps give us a little bit of background to yourself and how you ended up kind of being, you know, your niche being dentistry. How did that come about? Sure. I mean, it's a little bit of a long story, so I'm just going to try and keep it as interesting as possible. Uh, my, my brothers are designers and I'm I'm the baby of the family. So when I was growing up, my brothers are 10 years older. I was immersed in a family of designers. So they're in their 60s. <laughs> they're, they're just 10, 50. So, uh, and I'm, I'm under 40, right? So uh, they're about 12 year age gap. So as I was growing up, my, my little eyes were seeing what they were doing. And it was a time before computers even existed. So they would, to make a leaflet, for example, there was something called letter set. And you would transfer yes. the letters one by one. You, 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 rubbed, you rubbed them off, didn't you? And then exactly. peeled it back. Yes, yes. And that was real skill. So I, I, I was seeing this as I grew up. I didn't really know that would become a, a part of me at the time. And by the time I got to, I mean, like in school, uh, I'm talking year five, I was selling because a, a dad bought us an Amstrad. And when my <laughs> brothers went at home, I, you know, we had a dot matrix printer. I was selling posters for 5p each for like kids in the bedroom. And it was... What you were? Yeah, I was in the classroom. I would like customize with someone's name on there. So I'd sell it to them in school, like 5p, 10p. Little did I know the inks were worth a lot more than, than the 5p <laughs> I was making. But I had no mentor because I was doing it in secret, right? So oh. no one's meant to know I'm doing this. <clears throat> a bit Richard Branson-ish, yeah. really. That sort of, you know, that, that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spot, Shaz. Brilliant. Yeah, except without any profit whatsoever. <laughs> and then when I got to um, college, for example, my assignments 
uh, the, the depth in them was probably not there, but the way they were presented were fantastic. And there were always some tutors that were highly impressed by the presentation and kind of thought, you know what, the presentation's so good, I'm going to give them a really good mark. And be funny, I had really intelligent friends and they'd be like, how did you get a better mark than me? And it was amazing because I was learning about that presentation sometimes was, was so much more important for some people than, you know, what's inside. Mm. And then, you know, I got to uni and uni, that was a difficult time for me because I really, I was, I love designing, but there's no, like you, you don't go and study graphic design at university. And um, so I had to find a degree that I was interested in. And there was a degree called e-commerce. It was a brand new degree. And I think someone just boshed together a few modules. They put a bit of business in, <laughs> a bit of internet in. And, you know, like I turned, turned out, there was even maths in there. And all the students, we all had a great synergy because we all were there to learn something new, but we didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, so I went through this uh, university degree. And what I did was with my student loan, so we're in a three-bed semi at the time, with my parents, um, I had a garage at the back, and my parents had accumulated about 30 years worth of junk. So this garage, so I don't know if, uh, uh, if you know about this, Indians, very few Indians actually use their garages for cars. Uh, so our garage was filled to the brim with like double glazing brochures and all sorts of nonsense. And my, my dad's a bit of a hoarder. So... Um, Said, right. I think that's I think that's a fair assumption. If you're keeping double glazing brushes, yeah, yeah. I think that pre-qualifies you as a hoarder. And I think imagine- I think it's even a non-Indian thing. I think not many <laughs> yeah. people use garages nowadays at all. <laughs> so can you imagine? So I'm now clearing this out when my dad's out because my mum said you better do it when your dad's out. It was so interesting to see some of this old stuff. So it took me like three weeks to clear it out because every time I pick something up, I was like, oh, that's an interesting design. Is this what they did in the sixties? So I cleared it out. Um, I did a lot of work on the garage myself to renovate it into, like, refurb it so I could turn it into, like, a home office. Right. So this is the back of the garden, motorway behind me. I didn't know that would be the beginning of Digimax, really. And I started taking on clients. I always designed, like, flyers for parties in university, and I'd charge £150 for one flyer. Wow. And, you know, it, it, would never, it was never something like, this is a business in my mind. It wasn't anything. It was just... Me sitting on the computer designing. And when I left, you know, when I graduated, all my friends are looking for jobs. Um, and they're, they're looking for like IT jobs. And e-commerce was still in its infancy. So there was nothing that really piqued my interest. So I just stayed in my garage, didn't apply for any jobs. And I had all these clients by now that were giving me work. And I had a business. I formed Digimax in 2003. Um, I actually came up with the name Digimax in high school. So the D that we use for Digimax today is the exact same one I drew in the maths class. And I, I remember that moment. Wow. So, That's brilliant. Know, That's heritage and legacy. Yeah. So, to have something like that is fabulous. Uh, and whenever we get a new designer, they're like, isn't it time we update it? And I say, well, you know, you really don't want to be saying this to me. You don't want to <laughs> <laughs> That's like, shall we do something with your firstborn child? Yeah. It's like, no, no, yeah. no. You, you yeah, leave yeah, that alone. Right, you yeah. leave that alone. Everything's been touched except that D. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is, uh, I'm quite um, attached to that shape. And I always say people don't get too attached to things. So, so this is where it got interesting. So now I'm, I'm designing everyone's complimenting me on how good I am. Even my brothers are a little bit impressed, like, wow, how did he, like, they started asking me for advice on things. And that's really when I thought, okay, 
I get the 10,000 hours thing because by this time I've probably done 10,000 hours and I've just started. So I was really good for the age I was starting at. And then I had lots of issues, for example, being very young. How do I get the work that really interests me? Like doing work for famous names. Um, having an address which isn't particularly impressive. Uh, having no staff. So I started looking at ways in which I could do that. So I got a central London mailing address. I got a phone answering service which would say, hold on a moment, let me see if Shaz is free. Shaz is bloody always free. And then put <laughs> the call through to me. Um, so I had to build this facade of, you know, I'm bigger than I am. And it was just me. So I but got very big. But that's, but that's just bootstrapping, isn't it? That's the way great businesses start. Yeah. You just start doing your thing and then yeah. you keep bolting things onto it. And I think people that spend too long thinking and planning and building, they haven't even worked out whether people want the thing they're selling. But you did it the other way around and you just started selling stuff. And then you said, well, I think there's a business out of it. Let me start putting in place that infrastructure. That, that, for me, that, that's the best way to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what happened. And, and I loved doing my, the designing so much. It really was even a thing where money wouldn't even come into it. People would ask me for quotes. And eventually you built a relationship with people where you wouldn't quote them. And often I would probably invoice them like a year later because it was the least important thing to me because I knew there was work there. And I got busy very, very quickly. But the sad thing that actually happened was, you know, I would enter my garage at like 6 a.m. and I'd leave my garage at probably 1 a.m. So I started having very little sleep because it's only me. I had no idea what recruitment was. Would I even... It was just not in my mind. In my mind, no one can do what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and then two years, I, I put on quite a bit away. I was very depressed. To get into the house, you pass the kitchen. So I'd eat on the way in, <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> uh, if I go in for a week, I would eat again. And, and it was very lonely. And, um, and I got to a point where I actually thought, why am I not enjoying it anymore? And in the background, I had clients like solicitors. Uh, I had a dental client. I had quite a few clients, but um, they just got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I started um, ignoring phone calls. I started not replying to emails the same way I would. And a lot of my clients, they were really patient, but some of them were like, we're going, like, what's going on? Is there an issue? Do you not want to do our work? And that's when I started to, the, the fun started to get sucked out. So, um, my brother came to me and at this point he's got an office and he's got two or three staff. And he said, what are you doing? Like, uh, why don't you just employ someone? And I said, I haven't got the money for that. And he says, well, why, why do you say that? And I said, I can't afford like 25,000 pounds. I, I probably make that. And he said, well, what's the, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? After three months, you're going to realize you don't, you can't afford it. And you can, you can just end it there. There's a probation period. And then I said, well, they, they're not going to be able to design like me. He said, well, every big business, if they thought like that, and there's so many design agencies, they would get nowhere. So just do one thing, hire someone and just see how it goes. So I put out an ad on Gumtree and the advert was for £10,000 a year, part-time, and you work three days, two days a week or three days a week, something like that, uh, certain hours from the back of my garage. And there was only one person that really applied and he's the one who got hired. And he came really late into the garage. So I'm singing. So once you're inside, it looked quite nice, but from outside, it's not very impressive. So he entered, he's, he actually entered on a phone call. So it's the sort of employee that you would be like, get out the minute. <laughs> like now you'd be like, 
but he was the only one there. And um, I, I accepted all of that. He's a really, really good guy, by the way. So he got married. Like I've, he's still a family friend. And I hired him. And now there was two desks, two IKEA desks. And I just thought, why did I not do this earlier? And then you that know, was great a- advice from your brother because yeah. you know you're, you're right. It's so easy just to keep doing the thing that you do yourself and make a million excuses why why not. Whereas if he hadn't pointed you in that direction, you hadn't listened to him and, and tried it, you would never grow beyond the thing that you can do yourself. And out of interest, Shaz, did you mention it so as that he, so did you reach out with the fact that you were struggling or did he spot that you were struggling? So so you didn't reach out, he came to you because I think that's quite interesting one, especially, mm. you know, with, with all about mental health and, and accepting that maybe sometimes we do need help. Uh, honestly, he just saw the state of me and he thought, what the hell has happened to him? Mm. Um, and he, he said, let's have a chat. I've never been one to to speak openly. Like it's always it's always been that way mm. with me. And he just spotted it and he probed me until he got some answers. Well, I think that's a real lesson. Isn't it? I mean, I, I think you're you're not uncommon uh, in the fact that people don't talk about stuff. And I think what was that thing we were talking about in the office the other day that you know when you say are you fine. Yeah, and then the, the the easy one is to say, "Yeah, I am fine." But then the next question is, "No, are you really fine?" And and that sometimes is the the gateway to get to yeah. talk to people. I think really important. That, that's really great. You shared that actually, Shaz. Thank you. Yeah, no, really interesting. And I think that's what you know. When I get young people approach me, I make a lot of time for young people, um, people who are eighteen to twenty three, for anything because it, it. I was quite lucky, but I could have actually not had that conversation. That could have been there for another 10 years because I would not know any better in social media, et cetera, happened much, much later where, you know, you get success tips and all this and all that. The only way to get any tips at that time was to go to a library and read the Del Carnegie's. Mm. And that's not going to really happen unless someone tells you to. So, um, and then dentistry, um, I had one dental client at the time. So I got introduced to him. And he said, Chaz, can you make me some flyers? I'm going to distribute them in the local area of Barney. 10,000 flyers, and I'm going to do an implant offer. I didn't even know what implant was. I said, yeah, yeah, I can do an implant offer. Uh, Send me the text. And he said, I'm going to do 999 per implant. So he sends me the text. I design it. And I've always been put on a pedestal at this point. People are telling me how great I am. So I've designed this leaflet. He said, look, I'm going on holiday for uh, back to Iran. Uh, can you just get it printed? I'm sure it's going to be fine. Again, learning about the approval process, you never do that. So I said, okay, fine. So I designed it how I wanted, bright red, because he said, I want everyone to see this offer. 999, dental implant. Didn't explain anything because I felt too embarrassed to ask him what it actually is. Uh, so we got these boxes delivered. His team, the distribution company, have distributed it. He comes back two weeks later. I mean, there's no follow-up process. Remember, it's only one man bad. He calls me up. And I thought it was going to be, oh, Shaz, thank you for that amazing job. And he was like, I cannot believe what you have done. I'm just listening. And he's like, he's gone so crazy happy, shouting, screaming, you've ruined my business. I said, what happened? He said, you've used red. Any idiot knows that red signifies blood. Implant. No one knows what an implant is. Like, I know what it is. But I didn't want to say you never explained it to me. And he's like, no, 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 you made me look cheap. Uh, he just went on and on and on and on. And honestly, by the time he was done, I had a big 
lump in my throat. I can still remember that moment. And I think I'm, I'm probably cried um, after wow. that call was over and he hung up the phone on me. So then I, I called him back after I worked out what I wanted to do. I said, can we, um, can I, I'm going to pay for this first. And he said, it's not about the money. He said, just leave it. Just forget it. We've, we've learned. I said, can I just come in for two weeks and learn a bit more about your business? Because when you said you wanted to use me, you said you wanted to use me long term. And he just sort of mumbled and said, okay, fine, just come in, speak to such and such and come in. I spent two weeks with him. And wow. that's when I really understood. Like I would go in, I would sit in the reception, I'd, I would hear the conversations. I would even sit in the surgery, he would introduce me. And he saw that, look, I'm just a young guy, just trying to learn. So he, mm. he, was, a bit, he was okay with me at that point. And that's when I re- learned that dentistry is not about listing services like many like for the estate agents we will buy and sell your home you know it was really about understanding the emotion and that's yeah. when the yeah. that there yeah. really are very few people out there doing this very well and and that's where the love for dental marketing came in that's a great story i tell you what amazing that you because how old were you then shaz when that was so uh, mid-20s late 20s uh, early 20s to, to actually reach out and say, look, I've, I've really made a mess of this and I'd really like to, to come and learn. It's a massive thing it to do, isn't it? A massive, you know, because the money bit, you're right. Yeah. To say I'm going to pay for it is like, it's, it's sort of insignificant really because it, it's, it's about the emotion. And well, actually, I think you sometimes you need, I think I find if you have a little bit of a knockback, it resets you. And it gives you that kind of humility and I can't mm. walk on water. And, yeah. and you were saying, Shaz, you know, you're on a pedestal. And I think kind of you get a little knockback and you go, hold on a second, perhaps I'm not as good as I thought. Mm. And quite often those people then go on to do so much more because they've not just everything they've touched turns to gold. Mm. And, and I think, you know, that happens to lots of people. And it's just kind of when it happens. And for some people it happens quite late. And quite mm. often that's already manifested itself in arrogance. And for some people, it happens too early and it mm. puts them off. And they didn't learn. But if you've had a little bit of success and then it happens, I think for many people, that is a real leveller. And you go, right, okay, I really need to invest and understand mm. more so that I can get better and better. No, that's a, that's a really that's good great. story. Story, Can we, we were going to talk about um, the power of the greater good and, and how that adds a dimension to, to business, which is it's about purpose. And, you know, that's specifically beyond your own self-interest. And, and for me, I've done mentoring um, for a number of years. So I did some work with the Prince's Trust years ago, and I'm currently working with Virgin Startup. And for me, doing something outside of our core business is really nice because mm. it's a bit different. Um, and, yeah, if you've got some skills or knowledge you can share with other people, that, that's a great thing to do. Um, was there a point for you, uh, and we'll get us on to kind of specifically wells on wheels, was, was, was there a specific point for you when something beyond business mattered to you? You know, you've told us your story about how you were a designer, you were a marketeer, you, you started your business, you were making money, but was there a, a trigger that said there has to be something more beyond business? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there, there's always been a void for me when – just going through life that I wish I could do more. And I was lucky enough to spend six months in India twice in my, in my youth. Uh, we went for various reasons and I had family there, my grandparents. And the thing is you would, you go from a very, uh, very clean, safe country where everyone's sort of housed, except for, for, for the exception. 
and you arrive in this country, India, where someone the age of your grandmother is sleeping rough right in front of you, times a thousand, asking you for money. So my, my, I was absorbing this as a very young child and I was asking questions and they're quite hardened up over there. So because they see it every day, some of them would even say, don't give them money. You're spoiling them because once you leave, they're going to ask us for money. And it was so, it, it was mentally, I think for very young children, it's quite hard to see that, that level of poverty. And you've got that level of poverty. And then on the other hand, you've got, you know, very expensive homes and cars. So the, the rich, poor divide is so great. And you feel so helpless. So the first week you might give money out. And then second week you might say, all right, I'm going to feed someone. Third week you might say, I'm going to house, try and house and help the family. And eventually you just feel defeated. Um, and uh, there's a lot of nasty people out there that prey on people with that want to do good, but you know, that they profit from it. So um, after those experiences, there was always something in me that felt that I want to do good, but I was always paralyzed because all these organizations that do, do so much good, um, there's admin costs, there's all sorts. So I just always left, I thought that I want to get that feeling of, you know, if, if you've ever done this, you've seen someone sleeping rough and you've actually took them to eat and you saw firsthand, there's, there's, a, feel, there's a feeling you'll get that you will not get from making a donation to a homeless charity for the very same thing. Um, and that, that paralyzed me. And I always felt that, you know, there's a void. I want to do good. And as I've got into my late thirties, I just thought I really not need to start finding what that good is. Mm. Yeah. So was it your, so kind of going, going back before there, was it, was it the values you had? Was it your own principles that kind of were saying, I, I live in this world and there's people that don't get access to that world. So I've got to try and almost like level the playing field in some way. Was that kind of where, where you were or was it just this, this uh, yeah, abject, you know, horror that people are just struggling and you were in a position where you could actually do something? Was it kind of using what you had or was it kind of family values, family principles that, that took you there? Um, I, I think a little bit of both. So, so if you ever get the chance to meet my father, He's a very kind man. I mean, he's the sort of guy you call if a, if a scam caller calls him up, he will actually have a chat, and I'll say, "Hang up," and he'll be like, "No, that's just too rude." He just he's just so gentle and kind, and I saw I've seen him be quite kind to people in private, and he doesn't know I've heard conversations where he's given money that my mum would be like, "How can you? You know, we need that," and I I think a bit of that rubbed off on me, but also I felt. There's pressure on me that I can't carry on being blind to these injustices, mm. which I've been so close to. Um, had I not spent some time in India, I, I might think differently. Um, but it's, it's I just, think awareness is a is a is a real key. You know, I'm I'm a trustee for a charity for orphan and abused children in South Africa, and you know the stats are just phenomenal. And there's one thing about stats, and then there's another thing seeing it. And yeah. I think when you see it and you experience it and you understand how it happens, I think then, uh, in a way, it sort of almost like engages potentially a little, a little switch in your head. And I think sometimes you either have that switch 
or you don't have that switch because it's either, uh, as you say, shares. You know, uh, we've been out. You know, and we've 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 given money to to people that are homeless or taken them for something to eat, um, rather than just walk on by. And I think the answer is you have to be that person who says, "I want to do something." And I know with the charities that I'm involved with, the biggest issue we have is actually getting people to do stuff. People are really happy to give money, but actually getting someone to do something mm. is really the hard bit. You know, we all need volunteers. We all need people to do stuff. And I think what, what you've done is brilliant. You, you know, you've experienced and, and actually done something. You know, you could have donated, mm. but you didn't. You decided to do something else, which I suppose brings mm. us nicely to Well, Wales yeah, and I was going to say, and on the Wells on Wheels, obviously I'll leave you to kind of explain more of what it's about, but it obviously helps um, women and young children in, in India get access to water. And before you explain about kind of what that charity is and how it came about, uh, was it a coincidence that this, this whole Wells on Wheels thing started about the same time as you started your own family? Was there a connection that kind of said, I now have you know, a family of my own and we are so fortunate, we're so privileged. And, and that happens just because we live in the UK. Living in the UK, you know, our, our, our privilege and access to things is, is on another level to so many people on the planet. Was there a connection between your family and they wanted to try to, you know, lift up and help the people in, in a really positive way in, in some of these regions in India? Uh, absolutely, yeah. There is a there's a, a extremely strong link between um, me becoming a father. So my daughter is four now. So four years ago, you know, when that moment happened, and it takes for us blokes sometimes it takes a little while to really understand that has this actually just happened? Am I a father now? And there's a there's a massive boy <laughs> to man moment. Uh, and I mean, for me anyway, uh, there was a big boy to man moment, and. I just saw we're that. both nodding, Shaz, as you can yeah, see. We're both, both nodding and agreeing with it. And yeah. I think between us, we've probably got enough for a father-side team. I, mean, I think we do. At least. I think we do. <laughs> Maybe uh, two. That, that's like you inspire me because you've done it so many times. I mean, I've just got the one. And what I was going on to say is I've seen like how much we invest in wrapping them in cotton wool in all aspects of their life. And you know, I use this example that you know, in the sun – uh, when, when my daughter's out, we smother her in sun protection. Um, and, you know, obviously I'll go on to explain the charity, but there's girls in rural India walking, younger than my daughter sometimes, walking for hours, carrying something very heavy back and forth. And they're doing it with a smile. So um, I felt just when I became a parent that I feel parents generally have a responsibility to other innocent children that don't have protection. Um, and it was a massive link for me so I got softened up at that point and it just because you know in, in the front of my mind I wanted to do good the opportunities just connected together and I was able to form Wells on Wheels. Mm. So could you just give us a, a couple of minutes what, what, what is what is Wells on Wheels for the people listening? Absolutely so um, I, I'll explain what Wells on Wheels is but I'll just explain how it came about as well very quickly mm -hmm. uh, as I said look, I always wanted to do good so it was, I found it extremely difficult to donate to charities so I have a cousin in India and I said to him that please can you in your spare time go into villages and you know there's a common issue of you know dad is trying to get his daughter married and there's a you know it's there's a lot of pressure so some of these dads will go and take out massive loans and by massive loans it's like we're talking 500 quid yeah mm -hmm. but for them it's till the end of life. And some of them even 
die very early because they've done everything to pay off these loans. So there's lots of hardships. Someone's had a, had a, had a baby, they haven't got the basics. So I told my cousin, look, you just need to do me a favor, go into these villages, identify who they are. And when you are giving them the goods, so we wouldn't give cash in most instances, we'd arrange what they need. Just film it and send it to me. So on two occasions, he was, um, on one occasion, he was FaceTiming because there's a village near to Mumbai. Other occasion, he was videoing. I could see, and it was always lunchtime because that's when he would go, that's when he would be free. Blazing heat, and he would be quite upset with me. He's like, can we just, can we stop doing this? Because I'm, I'm dying here. And I could see like an <laughs> army of what looked like ants walking in the background with these barrels on their head. And they were quite far away. So the first time, I didn't say anything because it's quite short. Second time, again, same time. So here's a grown man complaining to me about the heat. And I can see very young girls and, and mothers walking in the background. And I started asking him questions. And he was giving me very basic answers like, they're lucky they've even got water. You know, this is normal here. You guys in the West think you want to solve everything. You know, it was that kind of relationship I had with him. And I just left out that. And that's when I started to research. So I went back to the office and started researching. You know, so we we get water delivery. So in, if you've got a cooler in your office, you see those big barrels of water. So that got delivered one day. I'm not very good with my hands unless it's on a keyboard and mouse. So I was helping take the the water bottles down. And, you know, I just got that eureka moment, you know, when we were putting it down, it was rolling a little bit. That Let me just look into finding a manufacturer that could turn this into something that would roll. You know, that's as far as I thought at that point in time. Started Googling it and almost my charity came to life that very same day because I found a lady called Cynthia who had the same type of eureka moment who had been in India two years before and gone through various revisions of what was a, uh, this water wheel. And I got in touch with her and she said, yep, this is the manufacturer. This is my product. We've trialed it for years and years and years. It works in heavy terrain. It's food grade plastic. The manufacturer gives you an 18 month warranty on this. We've known for it to last. Like there's very few that go wrong because it's such a simple design. I could the very next day put in an order for wheels. Uh, it's about 23 pounds, but 28 pounds delivered. And that's it. There was my charity. We, I started fundraising straight away. Wow. I'll tell you what I find amazing. And, and it, it's uh, something that, that listening to you, you do is you spot something. Because when you showed it to me, I thought to myself, I used to go camping and camping. We had those things. You know, we had those big ton on and you wheel it to and from the water but it's fascinating that that must be 35 years ago mm. and it took you and this woman to suddenly think oh hang on a minute we can adapt that use it and utilize it to an issue that's been there for for centuries I think it's amazing that you sort of saw something and then did something mm. about it and and just spotted that opportunity which sort of goes back to printing for 5p your you know your digital printing little copies and also, whatever it is it's a brilliant and i think for the for the the women and the and the children one i think there's a there's a massive health benefit mm. in that they're not carrying these extraordinarily heavy barrels of water on their head but also i think it's inspiring for them it gives them hope it kind of says to them you know things can get better you know for you and your family here's a change and if that sparks their thinking to to have more ambition or try and change things in the yeah. local community it's it's great and as a result of that has that 
has a positive impact on your core business? Has that changed the way that, that Digimax operates, how you think, how your team think? Has, has it come back into, into your business side of things? Internally, it's been really interesting because for, for, for the ones who are on that same journey as me, who, who are quite soft in that sense, they are the first to, to put their hand up. They are the ones coming up with ideas. They're the ones telling the family that this is what we do. And they are so engaged. And, you know, it's built a, a separate kind of culture. And obviously, you know, like there's 30 in our team, but there's going to be some that for them, it's just like, I cannot even connect with this. No, I'm just going to lie low. And then there's so most of them are extremely engaged. But from an external point of view, look, no one's ever... No, no one's ever told me anyway that we use you because we came to you because of the water wheel concept. No one's actually ever said that. But I know I will use companies that have a strong CSR focus in their business. Mm. That tells me they're kind businesses. That tells me that they care. And that tells me they're going to care about the product or service that they're going to supply to me. As long as it's, you know, there's CSRs, a genuine thing for them and it's mm. not know um, a, a pantomime which happens as well for some companies so uh, yeah I, I think it must have some external benefit mm. but no one's ever told me <laughs> and also you're you're the founder of digimax but is the is the uk digimax team are they involved in the charity as well does it does it go beyond just you is this kind of a side thing from digimax or, or, or people within the digimax business in, in, involved in it as well 100% the Digimax team were involved. Uh, so when we launched the charity, we told them what we're doing. So we held a meeting and we said, look, after the meeting, can you tell, can each one of you tell us? And we said, look, we don't mind if you say no. It's not linked to your performance or how we view you. You know, this is a separate thing. But whoever wants to be involved, please tell us later. And they all came to us one, well, most of them came to us one by one. And the other ones, um, they, they didn't say anything. Uh, when we do events, um, the ones that volunteered come, are the ones that didn't, you know, uh, we, we don't think much about it. Mm. Which, and I think that's that's quite right because you, you're better off having enthusiastic mm. volunteers yeah, yeah. as opposed to people being press ganged into it. You know, I've got this vision and idea and we should all rally around yeah. and do it with me. You, you're better off having just two or three key people who, who really get it and want to be part of it. Which I think and so that's important. life, I suppose, isn't oh, it? Yeah. That's the way it is. You know, a lot of people aren't particularly interested or are interested but won't do anything about it yeah. rather than actually getting off their what's it's and actually yeah. engaging and doing something, whether that be time or money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's the what's the 20 year plan, the 50 year plan for, for Worlds on Wheels? Where does it where does it go? When we're old and grey and we're sitting having a, a dinner somewhere and you look back and you say, oh, well, you know, 30 years on. 50 years time, I'll be impressed, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> for me, that is. <laughs> this, this is where you've got, what is, what's the big plan? So I've been asked this quite a bit and um, we've, we've, I've been told there's about 2,000 girls attending school now because they're no longer collecting water. Wow. We started the charity in 2019. And I thought to myself, what if we could get a million girls attending school? The population is huge in India, as you know. What would the next 15 years look like for these young girls? Because we know India is a very bright nation, extremely intelligent people out there. But these girls, and even boys, they're not getting the opportunities because they're not attending the schools that other charities have put into these villages. So I, I really want the next 10, 15, 20 years to be about getting as many of these girls in school. And if when people ask me to quote the figure, I say, I would love to have one million young girls in school because of the water wheel. 
Mm. And it's bizarre, well, isn't it? It's quite intriguing to, to, to hear the, the story, but the concept of just releasing people with a water wheel to go to school creates time <laughs> so they're not needing to do this you know so endlessly they're not losing their whole day just traipsing backwards and forwards getting water and with that time they get an education and with the education they then can have a, a better more fulfilling life yeah. and a safer life for them in the future um, oh that'd be amazing to get to a medium would be would be staggering wouldn't it yeah i remember our first water wheel delivery and um ajay on the ground team he he actually called me up it was a really bad like and he says, Chaz, there's a, there's a mother and daughter here crying their eyes out. And I was like, why? What happened? Uh, did their wheel break? And he says, no, no, they're crying their eyes out because they cannot believe there's some unknown man in London arranging this for them. He says, they're forgotten. I mean, no one cares about them. They're so far away. Mm. That there's nothing going on. Like it's, um, you have to fend for yourself type of thing. So there's so much emotion in these deliveries that mm. really strengthens your your wife for doing it um and and honestly you'll know because you both have big teams it's very easy to come up with ideas but to get these things moving you need the most amazing caring people who are on that same path as you so all these i've just been able to connect the dots but the actual work is happening by some real heroes which stay behind the scenes mm. yeah i've seen the videos and um, they're very moving you know, when you see the truck turn up and, and they're unloading them and, and when you see a, you know, a big, long line of people heading off to collect their water, uh, it's transformational. It it's really so is. simple, though, isn't it, as oh, an yeah. idea, which is the brilliant one. And I think we also forget how heavy water is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, as, as you were saying, Shaz, you know, trying to change one of those water cooler things, you know, it's seriously heavy to have to carry that on your head or on your back. And I think... The simplicity is what's brilliant about it. And that's what I think is amazing. Equivalent to suitcases uh, that we take to the airport, so between 20 and 45 kg. And some of these women are carrying two of those because you can actually carry a lot of weight if you balance it correctly to minimise their trips. They've got some serious musculoskeletal issues. Well, don't Royal Marines yomp. For with 80 kilograms or something. I mean, yeah. that sort of gives you an idea. And they're, they're top-trained military people yomping across yeah. the countryside. Amazing. And if you can imagine young frames being squashed by this mm. heavy weight, they're in the growing phase. It's, just, it's, it's really heartbreaking. And the funny thing is that I get a lot of critique from Indians themselves in India when they see the video, saying, why don't you put pipelines in? This is going to make them lazy. And this is all what I get. Why don't you? And I'm like... This is your government's responsibility. Yeah, I'm yeah. United Kingdom. I'm doing a, a 28 pounds. What a ripoff! Like this is. I'm not profiting from this. Whoever <laughs> is, you can speak to them. So you don't actually even get much support from the country you're supporting as well. But you've got to go on. And I've realised now that not yeah. everyone is thinks like you. Is that is that partly Shaz? Because maybe you sort of have embarrassed them. You know, in the fact of you've done something, whereas everyone wants to do almost like a big gesture. You know, they want to build a pipeline for 20 miles to get the fresh water. But the answer is that's a somewhat different initiative than some guy in London who's actually managed to motivate people to produce this uh, ability to transfer water from one place to another. It's, it's really strange, isn't it? It's really strange. I, th- I think the people who are saying this are regular street folk, not not necessarily working, you know, in jobs who have had much education. 
to right. them. Anyone above them is, you know, very wealthy or, you know, they all think because they've been all hurt uh, in some way or the other or let down by the government. I think they're always playing that victim card. So when they're seeing something actually really good, they're not able to see it for what it mm. is. Yeah. So I think part of it is that that thing we said a little while ago about the awareness of the world. When you've got an awareness of the world, it's easier to kind of, you know, see it and make a contribution. For, for me, what's great yeah. is, yes, wouldn't it be amazing if we could have a water pipeline, but we don't. So as an entry step, if we can help people get yeah. access to water, at least I'm doing something. Yeah, rather do yeah. nothing. Yeah. Oh, well, you can still carry it. It'll exactly. be fine. Yeah. Exactly. Is, <laughs> is, is, pipeline is, would be the most sensible thing to do, really. I can fix their issues today. Well, mm. their issues today. Oh, I was going to say, trucks turning up with water wheels, you know, week after week, that's impacting lives on a daily basis. Something like a, a pipeline, that's a, like you say, that's a government infrastructure issue. Yeah, that's something that's going to take a while to fix. These people are going to get help from, mm. from you know, wells on wheels very, very quickly. Well, it's that phrase, isn't it? It fits so nice with that phrase when people talk about problem solving, you know, you eat a piece of an elephant. You eat an elephant yeah. a piece at a time. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. You know, you're you're slowly chipping away at the, at the issue, which yeah. is superb. Yeah. Just just finally, Sam, just to, to wrap up, um, last question, is, is legacy important to you? Yes, it, it is. I mean, like I said, when I was growing up, I was highly influenced by my brothers. And I want my daughter, Helena, to grow up and, and see what, what we're doing, which goes beyond this very materialistic society that we live in, mm -hmm. to carry on that legacy. And obviously, I want her to make that choice. But I'm going to leave a very good example. So either she or someone steps up and carries this on and turns it into something. And I guess Wells on Wheels will one day turn into uh, an organization which actually champions pipelines for the poor mm. It could, it could turn into something like that. Oh, I think you're in a very good place to, to leave that legacy in place. And if your your daughter carries on anything like the work that you started, um, I think that would be an amazing thing. Mm. Yeah, you almost want to make Wales on Wheels obsolescent, don't you? Yes. In the fact of you, you've managed to defeat the issue. Um, but at least in the meantime, it's going to be doing something. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, I, re I still remember, and I appreciate it so much, that when I first shared the idea with you, I mean, you didn't even ask. You didn't even ask how, what, where, where. You just said, yeah, Frank Taylor and Associates will want to be behind that. And you committed. And, and those are the sort of things which give me so much strength because like you've got other friends, like, you know, um, you're going to be interviewing Harry Ice Connect and there's lots of other great people out there that will just say, yeah, you know, we know you, we're going to back you. And that's what's given me the strength that on difficult days, you don't think, you know, ah, I'm going to leave it because there's so many people behind you. Um, so thank you very much to you both for being one of my earliest, earliest supporters. No, not at no, all. Sure. We thought, no, so, like I say, we still think it's a great idea and it's something well well worthy of um, of supporting. Um, I, I think we've put a stick in the box. We I said that the, the dentology, the, the business of dentistry, the idea is to try and share different dimensions to the business and, and the conversation today. I think it's been, it's been, it's been fascinating brilliant. and intriguing to I hear it's, that story. And find out more about you know you shaz you know we we know a, a reasonable amount because we we know you well but it's it's people to know your story and where you came from because i think the danger is that people just look at it and go you know you are mr instagram you are the the, the go-to guy but they mm. have no real concept about where you came from and how you started and where you got to there and the other things that you do and i think it's been brilliant it's been great to, to talk to you thank you Chaz.
Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks for having me. I really no, not it. at all. Man, we really appreciate your time. Look after yourself. Cheers, Chess. Thanks very much. Cheers, man. Thank you. Well, that was a fascinating conversation with Chess, wasn't it? It was a brilliant shirt as well. It was. It was a very impressive shirt. But the conversation about this greater good, and I think the thing that I took from it was that things changed for him when he had a wider awareness of the world and when he travelled to India. Mm. He really saw firsthand how different life can be for people. And when he had Helena, which obviously then just sort of like crystallised him into action. I think the thing that I sort of was uh, amazed by really is, as he said, what he's, what with the wheels on wheels, it's not sexy. It's not particularly innovative because as I said, they've had those things for you, but, but the ability for someone to go problem, solution, yeah. fix it together get it out and you know what was he saying how many 2,000 children 2,000 yeah. girls in school I yeah. mean that's that's with stunning. an ambition to get to a million yeah and that thing when he spoke about legacy and why it was important to him and that he wants to leave something good for his daughter mm. to see what was achieved by her father to inspire her mm. to go on as the next generation do mm. the next thing. I thought it was a really, really interesting conversation. It makes you realise, doesn't it, it's not just about water. No. You know, that that was part of it. And now it just broadens out and broadens out and broadens out. And how many things are like that? It's just not that thing. No. That just happens to be part of it or the catalyst. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, it's a great super. conversation. Great conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.